before we jump into this passage, uh, young ones, if I could have your attention, uh, I'm going to tell you what this passage is going to be about, what the uh, sermon is going to be about. So I want to tell you a little story, true story. Uh, Jax, Jax is my oldest, and he's almost 16 now, so a long time ago when he was just three. When Jax was three years old, just a little kid, uh, I remember this was in seminary, that he'd been um, coming to me and, and Ryan, his mom, my wife, he'd been coming to us and asking us to take the Jesus book out of his room. Uh, and and uh, before he fell asleep, and some nights when we forgot to take the Jesus book out of his room, he'd come and wake us up in the middle of the night and say, you know, you do that thing where, you know, you wake up and someone's standing over and you're like, <gasps> and, and, and Jack's like, get the Jesus book out of my room. And you know, we'd have to get up and go and get the Jesus book out of his room. And when I heard it, when I heard that him, him say that the first few times, I thought, oh, oh no, Jax doesn't like Jesus. And I was really freaked out. And then I remembered, and then it did hit me, wait, what have, what have I been reading to him? I, I, I'm reading the Bible to him, and I keep reading David and Goliath, Daniel and the lions, Jonah and the whale, Jesus in the storm, and you know, there were these really cool stories. To Jacks, they were amazing and terrifying. And they were terrifying to him. He loved them while I was there to read them to him, and then I would tell him about how, like, and this is really all about Jesus. And then I'd tell him all about Jesus and about how Jesus is the Son of God, and he came down from heaven to live this life for us, and then he died for us. He died for our sin on the cross. He was crucified. You know, he died taking all God's wrath on us. Uh, and then he rose from the dead, and then he was resurrected. And now he's in heaven, and he's ruling over us, and, and he's beat death, and he's beat our sin, and he's going to come at the end of all things in judgment day, and he's going to get us to heaven. And, you know, telling him all these things every night, thinking he loves this stuff. And he did, and it was too, it was almost too awesome. It was too much. It was too amazing. Uh, and he didn't want to be alone with that book. You know, this Bible that we kept getting into, those stories were real to him. He believed them. He knew they were true. And the Jesus book to him was alive. And it was dangerous uh, because he thought it was true. He loved it and feared it. And now, young ones, here's what I want to say is uh, it doesn't mean you need to be scared of your Bibles. Like in that get it away from me thing, you know, Jack's grew up and he's not afraid of his, you know, to have his Bible with him anymore. But, but you will have people who will come to you and tell you, hey, the Bible, it's ridiculous. It's silly. Ah, it's not true. I don't believe it. And you know what? It's too hard to live up to. You shouldn't believe this stuff. No one can do it. It's a bad book. But we want to tell you, young ones, and what Jesus is going to tell us in this Sermon on the Mount today is that the Bible, his words, it is not a book about how you get yourself to heaven. The Bible, from beginning to end, is this book that is about how God gets you to heaven through Jesus. And so here's what we want you to hear today. You need to trust his word. Yes, it is alive. Yes, it is true. And you need to trust it and not put your faith in you. Put your faith in Jesus. That's what the Bible's calling us to. To live forever, to get to heaven and be with Jesus forever is this thing of putting your faith in Jesus who will do it for you. That's what he's going to tell us today. That this whole Bible is all about him and how he gets you to heaven. We've started this new 
sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew. We're focusing on the Sermon on the Mount, these three chapters. It's a sermon by Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, and he's introducing this new covenant, and he's introducing his work and what he's going to do. And, and what we saw a couple weeks ago is he starts with the really good stuff. He starts with the Beatitudes, which is blessing. So he starts with this stuff of how he blesses his people. Some of the blessings are in this life, some are in the future, some are both. That's super fun. Mine one. Uh, then Jesus tells us about the purpose of uh, the church in the world. So last week, he tells us you got one purpose, church, make disciples. Gather people to Jesus, gather people to each other in Jesus. And now here's Jesus finally getting to the commands part. You Because know, people are sitting here and they're listening for a few minutes to Jesus say this stuff, and you know they're thinking, okay, hey, what are we supposed to do? And here Jesus is going to tell us what we're supposed to do. And of course, just Jesus being Jesus, he's going to qualify and give us the key to everything he is about to tell us of what we're supposed to do in this life. This is a big passage. This is the key to everything else that follows in the Sermon on the Mount. Please stand for the reading of God's Word, Matthew 5, 17 to 20. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. When Jesus says in verse 17 right there at the beginning, he says the law and the prophets, that's, that's shorthand for all the Old Testament. All of it. All the Old Testament. So Jesus is talking about all of the Old Testament so that in verse 18, Jesus says all the Old Testament scriptures, that is the law of Moses and all the prophets that talk about the law of Moses and how the people have done with the law. He's saying everything from Genesis to Malachi. Okay, all that stuff that's said in there it's all going to be fulfilled down to the last iota, down to the last dot. That's, that's just, he's saying it, it, down to the, the smallest letter in the Hebrew and Greek alphabet. Uh, and it's like an apostrophe in the Hebrew and the smallest mark differentiating uh, Hebrew letters. Okay, the, the Old Testament is going to be fulfilled down to the minutest of details. Uh, Jesus can say what he just said in the previous verse, verse 17. Uh, that's why he can say Jesus has not come to destroy or modify the law or the, the prophets. Which brings us to the next craziest thing that Jesus has said in this Sermon on the Mount in the past like minute since he started the sermon. Jesus has not come to abolish the Old Testament. He says, I've come to fulfill the Old Testament. This is that simple question we're asking this morning, like, how does Jesus fulfill the Old Testament? We're in just a few minutes. We're going to flesh that out. When he says he's come to fulfill the Old Testament, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying, I'm going to do what no one else has done before. I'm going to be the first person, Mom, who's ever perfectly obeyed all the commandments in the Bible. This is not, it's cra that's crazy. It's crazier than that. He's saying, 
all of the Old Testament scriptures, all of it, it's all about him. That's what he's saying. It's all about Jesus. All of the Old Testament scriptures point to Jesus, and they are fulfilled in Jesus, down to the smallest detail. So after his death and resurrection, this is fast forwarding, after his death and resurrection, Jesus meets two of his disciples on this road, and he makes this same claim about himself, because even at this point, after his life, after his death, after his resurrection, his disciples are still having a hard time understanding, like, this is all about Jesus. So Jesus walks them through the Old Testament, explaining to them how it's all about him. Can you imagine being there on that road for that sermon? Like, did he start with creation? Surely. Like, did he get to, he must have talked about creation and the fall. Did he talk about Noah? Did he talk about the flood? He had to have talked about the ark, that he's like the true ark. I mean, even that thing of like, then a little later, like, what about the Tower of Babel? Is that about Jesus? Yeah, it is about Jesus. The Tower of Babel is about Jesus. Uh, what about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph, slavery in Egypt, the ten plagues, the Passover, the conquest of Canaan, like the kingdom of Israel, all the kings, all the prophets, all the priests, uh, I mean, all this temple stuff that all the priests are doing, like the altar, the sacrificial system, the, the laver, uh, the wash basin thing, the menorah lamp. We did talk about that last time, the incense, the holy place, the holy of holies, like the curtain, the ark of the covenant. Yeah, this all, like each of those things is about Jesus, and together they're all about Jesus. He is the true prophet, priest, and king. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He's true Israel. He's true Adam. Like the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that, all about him. He's the greater Moses. He's the greater David. That Rahab the prostitute points to Jesus. Deborah the judge, Esther the queen are all Christ figures. The Psalms are about him. The prophets heralded him. The, the lady wisdom in the Proverbs, that's about Jesus. Like, and did he explain all of his life, his miracles, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, that that stuff was all predicted in the Old Testament? And here's the thing, yes. The answer always is yes. Uh, maybe we get, you know, as we think about this is, okay, maybe we get that the prophets, I get like these prophets that are talking about prophecies and promises that are going to come and like Jesus fulfills a lot of that stuff. But the law, like he says the law, he fulfills the law. How does someone fulfill, like, how does Jesus fulfill the law? Because Jesus says he has come to fulfill the law, to carry it out. And he does it by giving it uh, perfect obedience in his life. So the law is about Jesus too. In fact, the law was always about Jesus and always about getting us to Jesus. The Old Testament law, think Mosaic law, Sinai, the Ten Commandments, like the Old Testament law, it was not meant to save Israel. It was not given to save mankind because it could not do it. The Mosaic law was given to show Israel and the world that fallen mankind could not justify themselves before God through their works, through their obedience. They couldn't do it by being obedient to the law. And all of that was given in order. This huge parable in time, this giving of the law to Israel, it was all in order that we would be brought to Christ who does it for us. 
at the end of at the end of World War II, uh, when the Allied forces they liberated the concentration camps that, that had been used in the Holocaust, and in certain areas. They, uh, they would go through the surrounding town, they'd go through nearby villages, and they would gather locals. And, and they would march them through these concentration camps. And not just to like get these locals to help them clean up this horrible, awful scene and, and, these, and these bodies. They marched them in to confront them with the truth and the horror of what they had done to make them see it and smell it. And there's this black and white footage of this. You can go and you can watch this of citizens from these towns, men and women with handkerchiefs over their faces, just weeping uncontrollably as they see all this devastation. And some knew what was going on. Some knew and denied and denied and denied. They had no idea the extent of it. And they didn't want to believe it. And here they were forced to witness it and to own it. Okay, the law of God is something like that. Marches us through our own hearts to see and witness the devastation that we have caused in our lives and in other people's lives. The, the, the horrors that we've unjustly caused in the lives of our enemies uh, and, and the, the devastation we've caused in the lives of those we say we love. The law of God, it takes you by the hand and says, I, I know you want to believe that you're a good person. But here is the truth, and here's the truth about you, and here's the truth about the world, and here's the truth about God. Here's this truth that you find embarrassing and offensive. And, and then it takes us all the way to the one. Here is the one, Jesus, who has done what you cannot do. And this is the part of the law that we don't like. The law, it called for curse on disobedience. According to God's just and holy law, the curse for sin, it is death and it is judgment. And what the people listening to Jesus, what they don't know yet, but they should, because it's been predicted in the Old Testament, is that for Jesus to fulfill the law, part of that obedience is taking the curse of the law. It's going all the way to the cross for us, saving us by taking curse for sin upon himself in the place of his people. So, like, when we think about the purpose of the cross, the purpose of the cross, it is not to arouse pity in us. That's not the purpose. The purpose of the cross is not some general display of the love of God. What happened on the cross was that Jesus was enduring in his body and spirit the penalty prescribed by the law for the sin of his people. And today the objection is, well, that would make God a bloodthirsty deity demanding substitutionary sacrifice, which would make him no better than the pagan gods of the Greeks and the Romans and all the ancients. Which, actually, that is a great point. Is a gra you hear that stuff, actually that is a great point. The idea of a just and wrathful God, that is a problem for modern people. It was not a problem for ancient people because the ancients understood the idea of God's wrath. They understood the idea of God's justice. They understood the idea of a debt. They understood the idea of punishment. But, but the God of the Bible, Jesus, is different from all the ancient Near Eastern pagan deities because what the ancients could never have dreamed up was that God himself would come and pay the debt of justice himself. That, that God would come and suffer His own wrath in the place of His people. 
Here's Jesus to make this claim that He fulfills the Scriptures. He fulfills all of the Old Testament is this claim about His life and His death. And so on the one hand, in verses 17 and 18, Jesus says that everything He is going to teach, it is in absolute harmony with the entire teaching of the Old Testament Scriptures. And then on the other hand, in verses 19 and 20, Jesus says that His teaching is in complete disharmony with the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. And the scribes and the Pharisees are there and they're listening to it. And Jesus is saying, listen, what they tell you, I'm going to contradict it right now. Which would have sounded crazy to the people because the people thought the scribes and the Pharisees were as holy as it got. The scribes were, what were the scribes? The scribes were the old, your Old Testament scholars. They were your theologians. They were your experts in the Old Testament scriptures. The Pharisees were the diehard religious leaders who were really trying to live according to every iota, every dot of the law. So the law said fast once a year. Once a year, the Pharisees, they fasted twice a week. And they came up with over uh, an additional 1,000 extra laws uh, to help them obey all of the Old Testament commandments. So we're going to put up all these, like, we're just going to, like, let's be super strict to make sure we get it all right. The Pharisees and the scribes, these leaders who looked at themselves because they knew the Scriptures and because they said they followed the Scriptures, they looked at themselves as the pinnacle of the obedience to the law. The pinnacle of holiness. They, the people looked at them that way. The Pharisees and the scribes looked at themselves that way. We are. We're the pinnacle of holiness. So these religious leaders could say, and they did say of themselves, thank God I'm not an extortioner. Thank God I, I'm not unjust. Thank God I'm not a, 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 an adulterer. Thank God that I fasted twice a week. Thank God I read my Bible. Thank God I, I say my prayers. Thank God I tithe. Thank God I never miss a worship service. And all of that was true. And Jesus called them hypocrites. Because all of this was done as a matter of religion. It was not done out of heartfelt faith. It was all done out of self-reliance, which is truly worship of themselves. Not God-reliance, and therefore not worship of God. Um, when he talks about the least in the kingdom, the greatest in the kingdom, like who will, according to Jesus, who will be least in the kingdom of God? It's the self-righteous Christians. And you've got to remember, he's, he's talking to a crowd of people. He's not just talking to individual Christians. This is how you're going to go live individually. He's talking to his people, the church, that this is what the church is supposed to be like. So who will be least in the kingdom of God? It's the self-righteous Christians. It's that self-righteous church who relaxes even the least of the commandments of the law to the point where they think they're fulfilling it. And we relax it enough to convince ourselves, yeah, I'm doing it. That would be least in the kingdom of God. Who else would be the least in the kingdom of God? It would be those Christians. It would be those churches who relax God's word uh, to the point where they, they never talk about sin. They don't talk about judgment. They, let's just keep everything winsome. Uh, and they deem those other parts as not that important. It's not what the people really need to know. The hard stuff. That would be a relaxing of God's law. Um, who, will be the, who will be great in the kingdom of God? Uh, it'll be people like tax collectors and prostitutes. 
uh, it will be seemingly insignificant churches who know they don't come close to God's standard of perfection, but who want to be holy. Okay, least in the kingdom, greatest in the kingdom. Who's not getting into heaven? The scribes and the Pharisees. They're not the least in the kingdom. They're not getting in, Jesus says. The scribes and the Pharisees were supremely satisfied with themselves, and Jesus says Christians should not be satisfied with themselves in this life. Don't look like the Pharisees. Look like a Christian as described in the Beatitudes. Remember, be poor in spirit. Be those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You will be satisfied in heaven, not here. They, the scribes, the Pharisees, they don't love God. They don't love their fellow man. They love themselves. And Jesus says you are to exceed that false righteousness by actually loving God and loving your neighbor. And here's the good news. The good news is that Christ fulfills the law in us. How does Christ fulfill the law? He fulfilled it for us, and He is fulfilling it by fulfilling it in us. That too was prophesied promised in the Old Testament that God would give His people new hearts, that He would give us His Spirit and bring us from death to life. Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets through us by means of His Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit indwelling us, Christians want, they want to be subject to God's law. We love it, which is, that's, like, that's a, that takes a miracle to actually love this stuff. That's the miracle of the Holy Spirit in us. We love it, and we want to fulfill it. And again, by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we are enabled to do this law. No, not, not perfectly. And yet, yes, we're able to struggle, to love God, to love others. And, and to, to do all the stuff that Jesus is about to tell us to do in, in the Sermon on the Mount. And we fulfill this law not to earn salvation. This is not a means of us being self-reliant before God. Look at what I have done. We fulfill the law out of gratitude for the work of Christ on our behalf. Truly fulfilling the law in His life and His death for us. All that's our works, our obedience, evidence, our faith in Jesus. Let me put it this way. The evidence of us having truly received the grace of God in Jesus Christ, is that we are living a righteous life that is never satisfied with our lives, but hopes in the life to come. Let me say that one more time. The evidence of us having truly received the grace of God in Jesus Christ is that we're living this righteous life that we're never satisfied with. We're never satisfied with. As we, as we struggle to live this life, we're living it totally in hope of the life to come. Which is to say, there is a not yet. There's a not yet to Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament Scriptures. And you have to think about that. He says this is going to be fulfilled. It's that, you know, heaven and earth are going to be here until this is all fulfilled. And, you know, when heaven and earth are going to go away? When the new heavens and new earth come. Which means, what has Jesus not yet done that's still coming? Well, what about final judgment? What about the Sabbath rest of eternal glory? What about the marrying of heaven and earth? It is Jesus. It is the second Adam who will grant us to eat of the tree of life and usher us into that eternal Sabbath rest and eternal glory. He will do it, so he's not done yet. The Old Testament prophets 
uh, put yourself in the, like, Isaiah's shoes or Jeremiah's shoes. Man, those would be awful shoes to be in, but pretend you're like, you're in those shoes. The Old Testament prophets did not see the distinction between the Messiah's first coming and his second advent. They didn't know about a second advent. They thought Jesus, this Messiah, would come, and he would come once and for all, and that would be it. That's, what, that's how they understood it. It's like, it's like a mountain peak for, for you crazy people that hike mountains, and you, and you get to the peak, and, and you get up there, and you realize, oh, oh my, there is another mountain peak. There's a valley in between. There's another mountain peak I've got to get to. That's what it's, that's what it's like. The, for the Old Testament prophets, from their point of view, it was just one mountain peak in the distance because that's all that was revealed to them by God. But then Jesus arrived. And you get to the mountain, and you climb the mountain, and you get to the peak, and you realize there's another peak. Like the first coming of Christ in all of his sufferings, that was the first peak. And the second coming of Christ in all of his glory, the conquering of his enemies, the removal of all sin and suffering, that is still to come. We're still a people on the way. We're those people in the valley between that first and second coming. The Old Testament prophets didn't see it, but we see it. Uh, and, and we're in that not yet stage. And, and here's the thing, we, don't, we see it. Like It's this thing of like, you can see it, how far is it? I don't know. Like, I don't know. How long will it take us to get there? Meaning, as you look at this, as, we, as we're about to jump into all of these commands that Jesus is going to give us, we know here that these prophecies of the second coming of Jesus we need to receive those. As we're given these commands of Jesus, knowing that He is coming back, we need to know as Jesus fulfills all of the Scriptures, we need to receive these commands, receive this life with patience. Uh, receive this life hungry for righteousness. And receive this life with hope. Because the absolute fulfillment, it will be entirely carried out because Jesus will do it. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for the Old Testament scriptures. We thank you for your New Testament scriptures, Lord. We thank you for your word uh, for us that proclaims to us our salvation in Jesus Christ. Lord, that proclaims to us this ultimate hope of, of, of heaven. And, and not just heaven, but new heavens and new earth. And, and our hope of being with you forever and ever and ever in eternal glory. Lord, we pray that as in the weeks to come, today, tomorrow, the next day, as we strive to live this life that you've called us to live, individually, yes, but Lord, as the church, as we hunger and thirst for righteousness together, bless us to continue to hold out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to... Um, to be confronted with our sin, to allow ourselves to be confronted with our sin and our great need of healing. Lord, our great need of repentance to keep turning from sin back to Jesus. Lord, bless us uh, in the days to come to keep going, uh, to keep going as your people who are poor in spirit but who live with an awesome hope that our Lord has done what we can't do and you will see it done to the very end Lord, we have all the hope in the world. And our hope, it is really real. It is really true. Bless us to believe that again today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.